Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples, the podcast where we explore all things around discipleship and how do we walk in the way of Jesus. My name is Chris Rogers and I'm your host. Two things before we kick off today. Number one, uh, today's episode is an interview with Rachel Newham. Now, she is the mental health project coordinator for Kintsugi Hope. It's, she's really about trying to help churches become friendly towards those with mental health uh, issues. Well, not even mental health issues, just being friendly towards mental health uh, as, a, as a topic, I guess. She started a, a fantastic charity. Uh, for a number of years she worked there uh, called Think Twice. Again, all thinking about emotional and mental uh, well-being. She's also written this book, And Yet, Finding Joy in Lament. And that's what I want to talk to her uh, today about. I got hold of a copy of this in um, the yeah, end of last year and absolutely loved it. So well written, beautifully uh, inspiring, and it's all about how do you find joy in lament. In the difficult seasons, how do you find joy? You know, Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come to bring life and life in its fullest. God wants us to have lives that are brimming with uh, the fullness of the Lord's joy, but often doesn't feel like that. So what do we do? How, how do we engage with lament? And how do we engage with Jesus uh, in that? So that's what we're going to explore today. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is this. I've had some lovely letters from uh, listeners uh, of As Late. Uh, a couple of books that you guys have sent me as gifts as well. A uh, number of bits and pieces. And I've just been really blessed by you. A number of said, look, Chris, how can we support the podcast? A number of you now know that I'm doing my doctorate. In a future uh, episode, I'd love to explore with you what I'm actually covering in my doctorate. Because it's thoroughly interesting. Um, but, but how can we support you, Chris? And I feel really blessed to have you ask. And a few of you have pitched the idea of, of buy me a coffee. Uh, buymeacoffee.com is a website where uh, content creators can be blessed by listeners by uh, essentially being bought a coffee. If you would like to support the podcast by buying me a coffee, uh, I often, often, often prepare the podcast. So I sat over a cup of coffee in a coffee shop with my Bible, a couple of books. And I'm thinking about what the content is going to be for a podcast. So I can't think of a better way of supporting the podcast is than buying me the coffee that I'm drinking while I'm preparing the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast uh, and what we do here at Making Disciples by buying us a coffee, uh, then you can do that by simply going into the show notes. It, there's a link, buymeacoffee.com slash Chris Rogers. And uh, you can do a one-off coffee or every month you buy me a coffee towards the podcast. You'd be um, you'd be really blessing us. There, there are some um, hidden costs in podcasting that most people don't know about. Not only is the, all the things that you need to record, but also the hosting of the podcast uh, costs money. And we've kind of covered the cost of that uh, out of our own pockets for the last three years. So um, that'd be a lovely way of supporting us if you so wished to do so but no pressure at all so today we're going to be talking about lament and joy with rachel newham i hope you really enjoy this episode Rachel, welcome to Making Disciples. It's so good uh, to have you with me today. Thank you for giving us a bit of your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. 
It's brilliant. I've um, I've had a list of people I wanted to have on uh, in the next year, and you've been on that list for a little while. But um, because you've had a, a new book out recently, I was like, ah, oh, this is a good reason to have you on. Uh, but I don't want to talk about the book that you've written straight away, if that's all right. Okay. I'd love to just ask you, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. You work at the moment for Konsugi Hope. You started your own charity uh, in the past. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself now. Now, now my life is split between, um, yeah, working at Kintsugi Hope, running the Mental Health Friendly Church Project. Um, my job title is the Mental Health Friendly Church Project Manager, which I think is possibly one of the longest job titles on the planet. Um, and it's, it's kind of a continuation, really, of the work I've been doing, I guess, for my whole working life, which is getting churches to talk about mental and emotional health. Um, I, yeah, I founded Think Twice 11 years ago um, and I left in April of this year. So that was a massive part of, of my journey and my, my story. But I guess all of the, the work that I've done thus far is all about making Jesus known when our minds are hurting um, and how we can best um, present the gospel, how we can share the gospel to broken minds. That's sort of what, yeah, that's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah, love it. So just give us a little idea of your story because there's a reason why this is important to you. And I think um, many of us in the last couple of years have started to realise that our emotional and mental well-being uh, is fraying at the edges. We, you know, many of us um, just recognise that it's one of the challenges of modern life, and it's one that hasn't been spoken about. And we're getting better at talking about it. But, but why is it important for you? Like, what's your story with emotional and, and mental well-being? Yeah, and my story with my, it starts with mental illness. Ultimately, I, I didn't think, as many of us don't. I didn't think about what mental health was until I lost all sense of it. Um, I have lived with suicidal thoughts since I was about six, um, although they were very fleeting, certainly at that age. But um, from the age of particularly between 14 and 21, I lived with very severe depression. Um, I tried to take my own life twice and I was self-harming quite prolifically and I was a Christian. And for me, certainly growing up, all of the sto stories I, I heard were about people who became a Christian and then their life got better. And I became a Christian at five um, and it felt, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily true, but it felt that actually I became a Christian and life got much, much harder and much worse. Mm -hmm. And I felt that actually I couldn't share the gospel. I couldn't talk about Jesus because I didn't know how to talk about it without saying, well, actually I'm a Christian and my life is rubbish and it really hurts. And the church wasn't talking about it. I had some amazing people in my life who were supporting me, who actually still um, support me to this day, but actually the church as a whole, the narrative was around victory. You know, you meet Jesus and life gets good. Um, and I wanted to find out what happens when life is dark and where God is in that. And so I kind of started trying to work out that question where God where is God when it hurts from a very young age and I probably I probably thought more about that than I worshipped for for many years actually but for me it was about finding 
not just the the light of the gospel, but finding where God is with us in the dark. And I ended up on a psychiatric unit when I was 16. And I had this sense then that we have got to shine in here as the church. And then I had that sense again when I went back on the wards as a chaplain um, many years later. And that has kind of shaped everything I've done since because life is hard and mental health does get a battering. And sometimes I think that actually our the way we live modern life is not conducive to positive mental health. But I also believe that the church can offer something so significant and so hope-filled if we talk about mental health in the right way. I love the way that you talk about it with such honesty and you are just refreshing. Um, whenever I listen to you talk on this topic and other topics, you you just bring such a reality um, when you share. And, 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 you know, just thank you so much for being honest about your own experiences. Um, I'm somebody who, you know, has known you in, in the last few years, really. Um, mm. You know, married Phil, who was a member of my youth group years ago. And um, what I see is an incredible, capable and strong young woman uh, that inspires us. Uh, and, uh, you know, you there's such a lot uh, that's kind of in your story that shaped who you are now. So thank you so much for bringing that. You bring hope by the way that you walk that. And my guess would be that if I was to say to you, um, do you still struggle? Then the honest answer would be, well, yes. Uh, because um, it, it, it never gets perfect, does it? Certainly. And, and yes, the answer is yes. It's something I live with and I adapt my life around it. Um, but it has changed shape um, over the last sort of 15, 16 years. And that that is where I've seen God God move the most, I think. I love it. Thank you. I, just as you were talking there, you, you were just reminding me, I, I did a funeral last week. Um, a friend of mine uh, from church who passed away and as a part of that funeral we were reading from Psalm 23 where it says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me and I think one of the things I love about the Psalms is uh, they really bring a reality of life to the position and place of God and you were saying a minute ago about so often Christianity is this try for people it's like a triumphalistic if you have Jesus it will all be okay yeah. and actually that's just not what we see in scripture uh, if we look at the life of David you know here we have God with him in the midst of lament and heartbreak mm -hmm. God with us uh, which is the thing that for me uh, it's just so hopeful about our faith is that God meets me where I am, not that I have to get better to meet him where he is. Uh, yeah. that's, that's so different, isn't it? You were just talking about light. Can I just go back to you, what you were saying about light? Um, you were just, uh, when we're in those places of darkness, uh, we need uh, the light of Jesus to come to us. But yeah. the other thing is that what you were just saying about that ward that you were in, um, it's also about us bringing light into those places, isn't it? What's been your experience of taking that light into places like the mental health ward? What, what's been your experience with that? It's interesting because it's... In some ways, the way you bring light into a place where 
so many people are filled with this bear is actually by not doing a lot at all. Um, it's about people being able to tell their stories, particularly um, in a mental health setting, people um, are kind of asked to talk about themselves a lot, but it's from the position of somebody wanting to diagnose them mm. or somebody wanting you know, to check about how safe they are or how capable they are. And actually what I learned most from the people I walked with for a very short time on the wards was actually that real human desire that we have to tell our stories and to tell our stories in a way that reflects not just what's happening to us, but also how it makes us feel. And I think actually we see that in scripture. We see people tell their stories. I love that bit in the Psalms that says, you know, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their stories. We're encouraged in that. Um, and I think that actually it's only by understanding a bit of our own story um, and coming to terms with our own story that we are then able to get to grips with where we are in God's story and in the, in the bigger story of life. Yeah, I love that. We're just talking about stories. You know, you read scripture, um, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Uh, is depression and anxiety a new thing? Or actually do we find them referenced and spoken about in the New Testament or the scriptures? Uh, do we hear Jesus speak into people's emotional and mental well-being? Is that there? It is, but it's not there in the language that we would recognise, I guess. Um, from the beginning of Scripture, we have this vision in when God creates Eden and kind of puts Adam and Eve in Eden. There's this vision for well-being, for flourishing, Um and through the, the kind of Hebrew word shalom, which is about wholeness and security. Um, and that thread runs right through scripture, right from, you know, those words that let there be life and the fact that God created us in his own image, which is a huge part of our own um, mental well-being. But also through the, the difficult times and the way in which the psalmists grapple with God and the way Jacob grapples with God in the dark, um, right through to Jesus um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, experiencing um anxiety experiencing that extreme psychological reaction to anxiety where he sweats blood and it's interesting to me always that the first anxiety the first emotion spoken about in scripture is anxiety that adam and eve realized they were naked um, and they were afraid and they were ashamed so they hid and that runs right through the bible this people who grapple with being seen by god and not knowing that who they are is enough because they're created by God. Um, and then Jesus coming. And again, he, him walking alongside those who let's face it, most of, most of us would rather avoid mm. but giving people back their, their humanity, their name. I love the story of um, Bartimaeus in the Bible. You know, he is obviously blind. So he's obvious that's, we would think that that's what he wants healing from, but Jesus asks him, what he needs he gives him that sense of dignity and humanity um and he's one of the few people who are healed in the gospels who is actually named um and at the beginning he's called blind bartimaeus and i think that actually there's this real sense that jesus gives him back his name which is such a for me such a full circle moment in a way because our names are such a huge part of our identities particularly in the old testament every name meant something didn't it you know 
Abraham became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah. There's this renaming that takes place when we're walking with God that I think has a massive impact on our mental health because we're seeing ourselves perhaps for the first time as who God created and called us to be rather than through the lens of what has hurt us the most. I love the bit in um, in Matthew. It is the message translation. It's not it's not the closest to the NIV, but I, I love it uh, when Jesus says, it's Matthew 11, I think, um, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you recover your life. I'll show mm-hmm. you to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Learn how I do it. Learn the enforced rhythms of grace. And yeah. I just think when when we are struggling to hold it all together in our heads, what's going on there for very often is we're just, we're just carrying too much. Mm. I, many of us who are struggling with our mental well-being, uh, it's, it's, it's not that we can't cope. It's that we're just carrying too much and we're exhausted from carrying too much for too long. And what I love here is that when Jesus says, you know, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're burnt out on religion, come to me and get away with me and recover your life. I think what I, I just see there is a, is a Jesus that holds us, not a Jesus that's pushing us to do stuff. Yeah, I think uh, I just I, I've loved that. Uh, and I think so many of us, when we hear that the message translation of that passage read, there's something in our souls that go, oh, yes, <laughs> I need that. I'm exhausted absolutely exhausted keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly and uh and you know it isn't that jesus uses the word depression but he speaks into worry and he speaks into anxiety and he speaks into these things doesn't he um in, in such a way that is life-giving uh, for us um if i said to you like what, what what scriptures have been the most encouraging for you when you've been struggling the most like what are the things that come to mind do you have any passages that have really um, like encouraged you when you've been in that place of struggle? Yeah, definitely. The The first was the is Psalm 40, kind of I waited patiently <laughs> for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry and he lifted me out of, of the pit. And I received that verse when I was really unwell. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the first times I read scripture when I was really ill that I it didn't feel glib. It didn't feel like someone was just saying, oh, it will all be okay in the end, but said, God is here with you now. He's not looking for the finished article. He's not looking for your victory story. He's here with you in the darkness, in the mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of really began to change the way I, my, the relationship with, with the Bible and how I guess began to learn to lament, I think. Mm-hmm. But also the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 when he he flees <laughs> he flees Ahab and he just says, take my life, Lord, I've had enough. Um, and, you know, the church's response traditionally to kind, those kinds of feelings, to feeling suicidal, has seemed to be one of condemnation and criminality, you know, not being able to be buried in certain places and all of that. And actually what that story showed me was that God is gentle with us when we are, when we're at our wits end, that in a kind of bruised reed, he will not break kind of thing. Um, And God's ministry to Elijah in that point is basically eat, sleep, eat, sleep. Now talk to me. (laughs) It's so beautifully simple. It's something, and I think it's a real model for us as the church. We don't need to overcomplicate things. I think we're quite good at that. Sometimes we don't need 
to as the church be psychologically informed and trying to you know do cbt with people we should be leaving that to start to people who are actually trained in it what we're called to do is to walk with those who are weary to you know allow them space to mm. to be nourished and to rest and find themselves before the presence of god i love that i love that thank you for that that's just so beautiful can i can i ask you about your book you may yes and yet finding joy in lament um i loved reading this and i want to ask you so it's very rare that the structure of a book is using what i would describe as anglican liturgical seasons uh, for most most of our listeners are anglican so uh, they won't know what i quite mean by that but in the book you use advent you use christmas uh, you use the phrase ordinary time which is every every everything in between uh, mm. lent and easter um you use these these festival rhythms that we have in the anglican structure to to frame your book why did you do that it's funny really because i i attend an anglican church now although i'm still not entirely sure if i would call myself an anglican but there was something about this rhythm that I found quite compelling. And one of the things I found most compelling was these seasons of ordinary time, which reflect, you know, most of the time when, you know, we're not necessarily celebrating. We might not have anything to, to mourn, but we just have to get through the day with God. Um, so I kind of loved that actually that was marked out. But also I just, as I looked across the Bible, as I was thinking about lament and reading about it over the last kind of couple of years, I detected this rhythm that actually before each celebration that we have as the church, there is a time for reflection, for, for grieving, for lamenting, for waiting. And I wondered if actually we're, we're missing a trick really when we're not engaging in that because these seasons give us the opportunity to almost stretch our muscles of rejoicing or grieving, but they also enable us to do it as a community of God. And it doesn't mean that, you know, our own emotions are going to align with the seasons, but we're going to perhaps learn how to present our pain to God or how to live with gratitude, mm. even when we're not feeling it. And kind of just, I think over the last few years, I've been so drawn to to liturgy and to almost to, to prayers that have been written long before, you know, I even knew what the word prayer meant because sometimes it's hard to pray. Sometimes it's really hard to, to know how to present the complexities of what we're going through, the, the vastness of the world's problems. And I found it a real comfort being able to borrow other people's words, I guess. And I think that actually, if we're able to tap into these rhythms that, that we're given in the church year, I think it might help us to be a bit more honest about our mental health as well, because we're able to say, you know, there's space here if you're rejoicing, but there's also space here when you're grieving and there's space here when you um, feel like you've messed everything up and you kind of just need to, to repent and reset. Life's not a 24 seven party. Um, no. It's uh, there are, there are seasons of, um, what we'll call low seasons, seasons when we uh, are not feeling it. There are seasons when we don't want to be in the room where the music is. Um, mm. 
And that's one of the things I love about some of this uh, the structure. I love Lent because it allows us into a season of grieving and lamenting, grieving what hasn't been, the dreams that once were that are not there, lamenting where we failed, where we struggled, where we've made mistakes. It forces into a, a season of being able to um, almost take stock, yeah. um, but take stock knowing that hope is coming. It's not all hopeless. Uh, resurrection is coming, uh, but forces you to look at that. And I find it quite interesting when you visit churches in, in middle of Lent and there's no mention of Lent, but it's all about Easter. It's like sometimes we rush uh, to the hoping and the celebrating without going through the valley of grief and lament. Um, you know, the, the, these, these are really important to life because it gives credibility to all areas of our lives, doesn't it? Uh, when we when we grieve well and we lament well, it, it gives credibility to all aspects of life. Definitely. And I think, you know, we it's important that we celebrate. It's important that we <coughs> rejoice. But I just think that we exclude a whole host of people if we never teach the church how to grieve well. Mm. I think it's something that, our, you know, our Jewish brothers and sisters know how to do well that there's a rhythm and it doesn't mean that you stop grieving when the season ends but it gives space I guess for for the pain and for the loss and it gives space for us to be honest with God which is what I think lament is is all about mm. now in the book I can I just I want to kind of linger on this a little bit lament because it's it's a word that we don't use a great deal it's a little bit alien to a lot of us um, some of us might not know what that word means uh, but in the book you talk about how to lament you talk about the writer of the book of lamentations um do you, do you want to just give us a little of an idea what, like what does lament mean what is lament yeah and i it's a good question because it's kind of the question i had coming to the book how do we talk about lament today because there are kind of some theological categories, you know, um, that I talked about in terms of complaint and fidelity to God and all of these things. But actually at its core, lament is presenting what hurts before God. Mm. Being honest with God about what hurts, but with the hope that he acts in it. Um, you know, we're so good, I think, at ranting and complaining, um, me included. Um, but the difference between the ranting and complaining we do on Twitter and lament is that when we do it before God, we do it in the hope that he is working and with the expectation that he is not finished with us yet and that our story is not finished yet. I love that. Just writing it down. Presenting <laughs> before God what hurts. I think that's such a beautiful and simple way of describing what lament is simply coming before God and saying, this is it. Mm. Um, and holding that before him. Uh, I think that's such a lovely, uh, is that, is that a Rachelism? Have you got, have you got that from somewhere else? Cause I just think that's so I'm not, nice. I'm not entirely sure. It's kind of become mine, but I may. <laughs> hey, if you've said else. it more than twice, it is now yours. Then yes, because I've said it quite a few times. So I'll take yeah. that. I, I love it because it's such a simple way 
Um, and I think, you know, we're carrying lots of people at the moment who are struggling. They've been out of work for long periods of time. They've applied for jobs and they've not got them. They've been hoping for a relationship uh, and uh, they dated and then it didn't work out. And now they're single again and they're in the mid 40s. And they're like, you know, it is all these things that we're carrying with people. Uh, and I and I love the simplicity of lament is about bringing all of what hurts before God and just holding it. And it, I think so often we want a solution and we yeah. want an answer. But what lament allows us to do is is not to necessarily have it and to yeah. not conclude why, yeah. uh, but just to hold it and, 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 and to say this is what's happening and, and to, to God to meet us in that place. Um, I love that. In the book, you talk about um, grief, complaint, anger, and fidelity. Uh, and, I, and I love, you know, sometimes um, this pain brings us to a place of anger and we, we, we're furious inside, but I've got nowhere to put it. Yeah. You don't know where to, that, to go. You know, there's anger around and we don't know sometimes why we're angry. Nobody, you know, we've only made promises to ourselves that have not fulfilled. It's not somebody else's fault. Um, but this anger just sits there, doesn't it? And it, and it I think shapes us. We've been kind of conditioned that anger is somehow a bad emotion. Mm. Um, but we don't, I don't see that again in, in scripture. And with my little boy, possibly one of my most uttered phrases is it's okay to be cross. It's not okay to delete as appropriate, yeah. <laughs> etc. Um, but I'm kind of having to teach myself that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't say in scripture, don't be angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. And I think that's such a key thing that can really set us free again. Because if we are able to say, actually, God, I am raging. And there is a lot to rage about at the moment. Um, But inviting God into that space so that we don't become embittered by it, but so that actually we are able to to present it before him um, and find some peace in it. Mm. We often, um, when we were at the same stage that you're at with Daisy and Isaac, we'd often say, um, in your tiredness, do not sin. Um, yeah, that's a great I, we, Two o'clock in the morning when you're just exhausted, it's so easy to say and do the things that you don't want to say and do because uh, yeah. you're exhausted. Um, so we would often say in our tiredness, you know, do not sin in your tiredness. Um, I like. I'm gonna. I'm gonna nick that. So in the book, I love it. You talk about grieving. You talk about lamenting. Can we just talk about celebrating? Like, yeah. where, how does? Why is what? What's the question? When we're struggling, yeah. and we feel like we're barely holding it together, what's the place for celebration? In that place where maybe we are grieving and we're holding the hurt up to God. Like where where is celebration in that? I think it goes back to rethinking a little bit about what celebration is, um, because we think of celebration as you know, M and S food and presents. Well, we do in my house anyway. Um, You're posh because you eat M and S. No, only at celebratory times. Oh, okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> But actually, celebration is about Thanksgiving. It's about saying, you know, whether it's a birthday or a wedding anniversary or or, what, or a job promotion, whatever it is, it's about saying thank you for this life, for this relationship, for this job. And I think I write in the book about the fact that 
one of the problems with our celebrations um, in the time we're living in is that we've kind of divorced Thanksgiving from celebration, which means that it's empty. (laughs) And I think we need to have that reconnection so that even when life is hard and even if we're grieving, it's not necessarily that, you know, we're grieving and it's Christmas. So we don't need to put on a party just for the sake of it. But even if it's in the quietness of our hearts celebrating that God became man for us um, and thanking him for that. And even if that's the only bit of celebration we can muster this Christmas, actually, I think that means as much as, as the biggest Christmas spread you could find. I had this, um, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, about four o'clock and I, I went to the loo and then um, I'm laid in bed and I'm just thinking, oh, I've got this and there's that person and there's that thing to do. And I found myself at 4.30 in the morning getting really quite miserable about all the stuff that I'd got to do this week and people that mm. have let us down. And in that, I was like, why am I like mulling on all the things right now that are making me miserable? It's 4.30 in the morning. So I decided to lay there and think about all the things I had to celebrate. Mm. And it started with me going, I'm in a warm bed. (laughs) My wife is next to me and there's a roof above my head and my children are asleep. And then I kind of went on and went through a whole string of things that I wanted to celebrate. Mm. And... um, and then I just really felt the Lord said to me, and that that's your um see the incarnation is about flesh and blood, Jesus coming into the mist of the suffering, light coming in the dark. Mm. When we celebrate, it's like we're letting open the window to let light come into the darkness. Yeah. Celebration allows Jesus to come into where we are right now. Yeah. And I and I and I just think sometimes we we need we need to celebrate when we don't feel like we want to, because it allows a place for the incarnation, Jesus to come present to us in the darkness as light. Uh, And I laid there, I ended up falling asleep and then uh, um, I didn't need to worry about it anymore because I was fast (laughs) asleep. But it was really funny just laying there. I was like, why am I getting so miserable about all this stuff? I've got so much good stuff to celebrate. Uh, But I had to force myself to do it. Uh, but actually, once I forced myself to do it, it wasn't very long and I'm, I'm fast asleep again. Um, mm. And so you, sometimes we've just got to invite in to that place of misery, celebration and joy and hope. Uh, we have to force it because uh, if not, we, we can reminisce, we can kind of mull on, on the negative, can't we? Yeah. And I think there's I think there's real space in our in our emotional lives and our spiritual lives to to hold those two things together they're not a particularly comfortable alliance um of of gratitude and lament but actually i think that when we hold them together we're able to see that actually that that is the richness of of human life jesus didn't just come for the good bits but he also didn't just come for the bad bits um he came for that that ordinary time when you know grief and gratitude are part and parcel of life um but he is in the midst through it all rachel thank you so much we've completely run out of time but um (laughs) i can't more highly recommend and yet finding joy in lament and i think this episode will be going out uh in january and i think january is a perfect you know 
one of the most miserable months of the year <laughs> to read a good book. Uh, so I can't more highly recommend this because it is such a, a good book. And it's published by Form, the new SBCK uh, title for publishing. So it's it's um, it's a new new book off a new set of books that are coming out from SBCK, which is super cool. Uh, Rachel, if anybody wants to track you down or they want to read other things that you've done, where can they find you? Um, so um, www.kintsugihope.com um, for all things mental health friendly church. And then I'm at Rachel Newham 90 um, on social media stuff where I post pictures of coffee and the occasional inspiring quote. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.